Guys, we are just so grateful for all the men, again, who are here today and just thankful, again, for your impact and the way that you're making a difference. Whatever stage you're in, whether you have biological children or whether you're a spiritual father to others as well, we are so, so grateful for you. And today, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Extraordinary Love, in part because I can't think of a better way to describe the Father's love towards us and also how that's manifested and seen through what Jesus would do for us. And then God gives us the gifts of other men and fathers to help to model that. As imperfect as they may be, God uses them in those ways. And so as we are going to go through the series, we're going to actually be looking through the book of Hosea. And before we jump into the book of Hosea, I think Hosea speaks of what I just described, of the Father's love in a visible way. The way that you're going to hear how he leads, leads his life and how he lives his life as he follows what God has for him. You're going to see that firsthand. But as I, I think about who Hosea is and I think about our Father in heaven and I think about all those who are here even today, I'm reminded of just the power that God has entrusted to us as men. And I, I read this excerpt describing a book, and I heard this author on a podcast. I have not read the book. That's my disclaimer, okay? But I heard him be interviewed, and I thought the way he described what it means to be a man and what it is that we should pursue, we are going to find in who Hosea is and what it is that we should all desire to pursue as we think about who we're becoming. And the book's called The Men We need. But listen to how they describe this book. Again, it's by Brant Hansen. Listen to what they do here as they describe this book. It says this, the world needs real men, real bad, and there are all sorts of conflicting ideas and messages about what a real man is and is not. Is a real man one who hunts, loves sports, grills meat, fixes cars, and climbs mountains? Sure, sometimes. But that's not really the point of being a man. And it's not the purpose for which men were made. And it goes on to describe this, the book in this way. It says, in our cultural confusion, Brant Hansen paints a refreshingly specific, compelling picture of what men are made to be. Keepers of the garden, protectors, and the defenders. He calls for men of all interests and backgrounds including avid endorsement like himself, <laughs> to be ambitious about the right things and to see themselves as defenders of the vulnerable with whatever resources they have. And as I think about this, this is a great picture for us, is to see ourselves as keepers of the garden, to join God and what he's called us to cultivate, what he's entrusted in, into our hands, to, to walk alongside others, to, to do what's right even when it's hard and difficult, to then be a defender of the people he's put in our lives, the vulnerable, as it says here and describes here. And as we, we see this description, again, we're going to see this in the man named Hosea, who was an Old Testament prophet. And what's so fascinating about the book of Hosea, there's a lot of compelling storylines within it, one thing, though, is in which the time in which it was communicated to Hosea, hey, this message that I have for you, 
Because at this point in time, the kingdom of Israel was divided. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And as this is happening, there's this, again, division. But not only is that happening, but Jeroboam II has led them to a time of prospering the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And this prosperity looks great economically. Things are, are, are humming along, as they would say. But yet, the people of God, the nation of Israel, is turning away from God. And as they've turned away from God, they start to look at these, these false gods. They start to, to find comfort in things that they have instead of coming after the one who's made this covenant with them, this one who's brought them out of Egypt many, many years prior to this moment that we're going to read. And as a result, you start seeing things fall apart as Jeroboam II is no longer the king. And what happens is many of the kings are assassinated after that. And not only that, but you see armies conquer and overtake Israel, specifically the Assyrians. They do that. And so in this background, you're going to see some things that God is addressing within the nation of Israel. And yet, you're going to find a man who's willing to do what God asked him to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up with me. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 2. We have the verses on the screen. You can power up your Bible on your app. We have uh, notes on the Riverbend app. And then there's free copies of the Bible on your way out today if you need a copy of the Bible. But this is what it says here in Hosea 1, starting verse 2. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, like an, like, for like an adulterous wife, the, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so before I, I go further, I want to just explain what happens here. So Hosea's asked to marry a woman who will be unfaithful to him. And there's a lot of commentators that have a lot of different thoughts on it. Was, was she and other biblical languages uses, uses the phrase a prostitute. Was she living that type of life before she met Hosea, or was it after they got married and she became unfaithful and started to sell herself? We don't, we don't really know all those, those details, but we do know this, that God asked Hosea to do something that was not comfortable <laughs> and was not something that I don't think any of us would sign up for. Let's marry somebody who's going to be unfaithful to us. And God's point, and the reason he's doing this, is to show a picture to the nation of Israel about their unfaithfulness to the one true God. How they've been unfaithful to him, how they've turned to other things. And yet what you find Hosea do is he says yes. He does it. He does what God asks him to do. He doesn't say, let me think about it, maybe, not now, no. He says, yes, I'm going to do it. And how is that seen? Well, he does it. He marries this woman. And her name, again, is Gomer. Now, I want to ask you this question because I think it's important for us to think about. 
what hard things is God calling you into? What are the hard things you find yourself in right now? Things that he's asking you to confront and deal with in your life. And is your answer to him, yes, not now, no? What is your answer? And some of those hard things may be the forgiveness that you need to offer to somebody. For you, it's, it's maybe addressing who you are, your story, where you've been, the things that make you who you are but you're afraid to deal with. For, for some of us, he's asking us to make that call to ask for help. And it's tempting not to do that. And I'll just say this, especially for men, men, it can be really difficult to say, I need help. I need help. Will you walk with me in this? Because this is really hard and this is really difficult and I'm trying to make sense of what to do next. But what's the hard thing he's calling you into? Maybe for you it's a transition that you're in with work and you're not sure what the next step is or, or maybe you're being asked to take initiative by God on something, especially things at, at home that you're just uncomfortable with. And you're like, I'm not sure how to do this. Like, I'm afraid to do it. You keep hearing somebody talk about it, specifically your spouse, right? They keep mentioning it, not nagging. They just talk about it. You can tell it's an area of interest. But what would it look like for you to take initiative on that? Because it's tempting to be passive, just like the first Adam was when Eve was in the garden with him to be passive versus be purposeful with our life and be intentional and, and do the hard things that God is asking of us. Because praise be to God, there was a second Adam named Jesus, and Jesus came in and he prayed in the garden too. And his prayer was this, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. I want to join you in what you have for me. I know you can do all things. All things are possible with you but not my will, but your will be done. And Gomer was this kind of man who says yes to the hard things. He marries an unfaithful woman, a promiscuous woman. And as you go through the book of Hosea, he's going to even buy Gomer back after she sells herself. He's going to keep this pursuit going, this extravagant, extraordinary love that God is displaying is what God reveals to us fully in who Jesus is and what he will do for us. Because Gomer was pursued by Hosea. And Hosea, again, not perfect by any means. None of us are. But he's a picture of the one who will be perfect. The good and better Hosea named Jesus. And Jesus pursues us and comes after us. But again, I want you to be thinking, what hard things is God calling you into? Well, it continues on here. It says this, Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And he's, he's mentioning this story that happens in the Old Testament. And he's talking about what, what happens in Jezreel and, and what it is that the nation of Israel did as they walked away from God. And specifically, what Jehu did was set up this Jeroboam the first and the second to then become kings, and it started this civil war. 
And he's saying, hey, I'm going to address this and I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to discipline them. And I'm going to break their bow. In other words, the power and the might that they think they have, I'm going to just show them who actually has all the power. I'm going to show them that there's someone who's even more powerful than them. And that is ultimately him, but also to show and display to all the nations how strong, how strong God was. Because God is a God who is jealous for us. He loves us so much. And as you look at this, you're like, punishment, discipline, what's that about? That doesn't seem to match God's character. Well, he loves and he disciplines us when we go off what it is that he has for our lives. But specifically for the nation of Israel, they had established a covenant with God. That they were going to be faithful to him and him alone. And that they were going to love him and him alone. And that they were going to serve him and him alone. Not false gods, not idols, not turn away from him. And if they chose not to keep that covenant, there would be discipline that would come upon them. And they knew these terms. These are things that they had agreed to. And you see God addressing this with them. And so as we read that, at first glance, you're like, ah, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense that he would do that. But again, he's trying to pursue them and woo them back. His heart for them is, hey, I want you to join me. And part of joining him and what it is that he has for us is oftentimes discipline is the means to draw us back to who he is when we're off track, when we're out of step, when we're out of alignment with his design for our lives. And so this is what he's speaking to. And sometimes discipline looks like even deepening good things within us. So sometimes there's something going really, really well, and he's disciplining and deepening some things in our own lives. But as we continue on here, it says this, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. And so you start hearing these names. This is the second child. And again, Hosea is doing the hard things, right? He's, he's naming the children after these, these marks within the nation of his, Israel where they're not following God. And lo Rama again, means not loved. It means not loved. And, and what's he talking about here? Well, the nation of Israel, again, had walked away from God. But Judah, which was a part of Israel, but again, the, the nation had been split, right? The, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And as that's happening, he's saying, hey, I'm going to show the, the nation of Israel I'm going to show them again just how powerful I am. And and I'm going to show it not by the ways of this world, because his power and his ways are greater than the ways of this world. He said, I'm going to just show my strength to them. I'm going to show my strength to who they are. And he says, yet I will show love to Judah. I will save them. I'm I'm going to save them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to show them again how, how much I love them and my pursuit of them. But again, nation of Israel, he's going to discipline. Judah, he's going to show love. And again, the way he's going to deliver out Judah is not the ways of this world. It's not the way that we would think he would do that. 
And yet he's speaking through the prophet Hosea. Hey, this is what's happening and this is what's taking place. So as we continue on here, it says this. After she had weaned Lorama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Loamin, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Again, as you're hearing this, he's like saying, hey, name your son this to remind the nation of Israel what's going on, how they've turned away from me. For you are not my people and I am not your God. You have broken the covenant. You have broken the covenant. And so as we think about this, there's a couple things I want to give to us as we continue on here. And it's first, this question, would you be described as unfaithful or faithful? Would you be described as unfaithful or faithful? And we need people more than ever who are going to be faithful. Because at the end of the day, we're going to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And what does faithfulness mean? It means to show up and do the best that we can do given the set of circumstances we find ourselves in. It means to join what it is our Heavenly Father has for us and what he's called us to through who this Jesus is and he's made known to us and to do what we know to do with what it is he's asked us to do. And so all of us, all of us should be pursuing faithfulness. To be faithful with what he's asked of us, to be faithful with the people he's put in our circles of influence, to be faithful to the vocation that he's called us to, to be faithful. Now, I want to say this, there are times where we are unfaithful. There are times where we don't hit the mark. None of us are perfect. But here's the thing, are we quick to acknowledge when we get off track? Because part of faithfulness is saying, hey, I made a mistake. I am wrong. Will you forgive me? God, I want to make a difference. I want to change. I want to align myself with what it is that you have for me. And so as we think about these words that are spoken over the nation of Israel, it was really speaking about unfaithfulness. But there's power when we can own and acknowledge where we've come off the, the rails, so to speak, and we're off track, and, and to share with the people that we've hurt and have impacted with our decisions. That's actually a sign of faithfulness. Like my son Ray, my son Ray, who I, I really, man, I love, I love this guy. He's amazing. He's a six-year-old, and man, he's got all kinds of creativity, energy, all those things. But one of the things that I think speaks to him the most, beyond our times of fun and laughter together, is when I can get on his level and own, hey, I made a mistake. The way I spoke to you, the, how intense I got, because he's a sensitive guy. So when I get intense... And I'm not even talking yelling and screaming, but I'm just like, hey, man, we got to do this. He like runs to his room and like starts, you know, like he's just overwhelmed. And there's a time, you know, when you're leading somebody that you need to do that. But I also need to be mindful that my words and the way I talk carry a lot of weight. For him, something that seems like a 25-pound weight to me comes across like a 150-pound weight to him. Like the weight of my words. So what I say and how I say it matters. And when I'm off track, not just if I've said something wrong, because that's part of it, but my tone, my body language, that I could come to him on his level and say, Ray, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive 
Will you forgive me? Will you forgive daddy? That actually means the world to him. And he says, dad, we're good. We're good. I ask him, are we good? And he's like, all right, we don't need to keep talking about it. That's what he does. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to like sit in that, right? And he's like, it's okay. Like we, we addressed it. We're good. We're good. All right. I just want to make sure we're good. But there's power in that. There's power when we were able to do that. And again, for the nation of Israel, it wasn't that God wasn't inviting them back, but they chose to walk away. And when you look at human history, it is a history of a prodigal people walking away and running away from God. And here's the, the big difference, though, about God's heart towards us. God is a God who pursues a prodigal people. And isn't that good news for us? He pursues a prodigal people. He pursues a people that want nothing to do with him. He pursues a people that find comfort in things apart from him. He pursues a people, again, who have been unfaithful. He pursues us. And so as you think about what we see with these names, again, Jezreel punished for disobedience. Lorama, not loved. Loamin, not my people. Again, they speak to this unfaithfulness. And at first glance, you're like, wow, is there going to ever be like a restoration here? <laughs> like, where's, the, where's like the good news here? What's, what's going to happen here? Well, part of this is, first of all, understanding the depths of the love that our Father has for us. And if we don't understand our own brokenness, we can't appreciate the beauty of his restoration and his rescue for us. And so as we think about that, that brings us to this point here. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And again, this is good news. This is good news. And how do we see this really play out in the book of Hosea as we continue on? You'll see what happens as God pursues. But I want you to know, through Jesus, again, we have a good and perfect version type of Hosea who pursues us, who comes after us, who invites us in, who says, hey, I know you want nothing to do with me. I know that you've been unfaithful. I know of what you've done. I know your story. I know how far you are. I know the things that have happened to you and how you run from me instead of run to me with those things. And yet, I'm still pursuing you. Yet, I'm still coming after you. I want you to know of my great love for you. Again, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. Again, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. And eternal life is this idea, again, of joining what God has for us to live this life that's marked by joy, hope, peace, and love. That is a picture of living with him in communion, in union today, as well as tomorrow. It's seeking to bring heaven to earth, understanding that one day we'll fully experience all of heaven in the kingdom of God, making all things new. And that's why as we think about what we're reading in Hosea, you're going to see this, this restoration, this, this rescue, this beauty within this prophet's life. Even though it was hard, even though it was difficult, even though the words he had to speak were not always fun to say, he said them anyways. Even though he had to name his children, were asked to name his children names that would remind the nation of Israel of the unfaithfulness that they had practiced to God. God still remains faithful. So as we continue on here, we're going to see God's faithfulness on display. It says this, 
Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said of them, you are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. And as you're hearing this, you're like, what's going on here? What, what's he saying? It seems like he's changing course. Well, no, within his character, he says, hey, I want you to know what, how serious this is, but I want you to know what I'm going to do. That I'm going to take your brokenness and make something beautiful out of it. I'm going to bring redemption. I'm going to bring restoration. And he says, hey, th- this dividing line between the two kingdoms, the nation of Israel and, and Judah, you know, this dividing line, the fact that they had two different kings. He says, there's going to be one king. There's going to be one king. And not only that, I'm going to, you know, he says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured and counted. And you're going to be called my children. And I'm going to be called the, you know, ch- you're going to be called, again, my, my children. And I'm going to call you not only my children, but children of the living God. And I just love this picture, this imagery that's happening. And how many of you have been to the beach lately? Just show of hands, show of hands. How many of you guys have ever tried to count all the, the sand there, right? All the sand, like, you're like, I mean, can you imagine? No, we can't, because that would like, it's impossible. And what God is saying is like, hey, I want you to just get what I'm doing. I want you to understand the work in which I'm up to, even Though you've been unfaithful, I will be faithful. And this is actually a picture of what we have in Jesus. Jesus is the one king, King Jesus, right? And we're coming over and under, we're coming over to him and under his leadership. But also it speaks to what Ephesians 4 says, that there's not going to be the divisions that were in that day, that there's not going to be Jew and Gentile, that there's those dividing walls that were there, they're going to be demolished through Jesus and those barriers will be addressed and dealt with and I think even as we come to this day not only Father's Day but Juneteenth which is they also call it Freedom Day which is a reminder of the emancipation of the slaves and how freedom was theirs and how they were able to then experience equality even though there was a long road to still go after that 150 years this has been celebrated. But again, it's a picture of what we're reading here in that ultimate day in Revelation 7-9 where everybody's going to come around the throne. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We're going to cry out. And we're going to say, holy, holy, holy. You are amazing. You are amazing. There is none like you. But here's the beautiful thing. We get to be a preview of that coming day. We get to live in light of that day that is ours. And we're seeing even in the Old Testament here, in the book of Hosea, this restoration goodness of God. Even though the people had been unfaithful, he was faithful. And again, you're seeing this vivid picture through what Hosea is going to experience as he's married Gomer, this unfaithful woman. But one of the things you'll notice when you read through Hosea, not only does this happen that we read here, but it's going to be just like our own lives. We're going to, at times, walk away from God, be disciplined, come back to God, say, I'm so sorry, I want to change. 
we're going to change. We're going to experience his restoration in areas, but then we're going to forget him again. And then there's going to be loving discipline. And then there's going to be us saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then we're going to see how he's turning into good. And for the nation of Israel, it's like that on rinse and repeat. This is what they experience. And, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, that's just the nation of Israel. That's their problem. No, we are like that. That's the human problem. That's a human problem. And thanks be to God through Jesus, he's finished for us what we could never finish on our own. He's made a way for us to not only hear about the old covenant, but a new covenant that is ours through Christ. That we're going to have a, a new heart, a heart that in Christ, those who put their faith in trust, that desire the things of God, to join him, to, to know his commands and to walk in his commands by the power of the Spirit. But again, I don't want you to miss what he says. Again, it's going to go, they said, you're not my people. They will be called children of the living God. And as you read through 1 John, it says, behold the manner of the love of God, of the love of the Father, that we should be called children of God. What a title. That's one of the best titles we could ever have is being called children of God. And through Jesus, we are called children of God. Just say this with me. I'm a child of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a child of God. And say to them, you are a child of God. So as we, as we wrap up our time here in Hosea, I want to ask you this question. How have you seen God be faithful in the past and present. It's important that we take time to remember how he's been faithful in the past and how he's been faithful in the present. Because this allows us then to anchor ourselves to God. Because as you read through the Old Testament, New Testament, you see the story of this God pursuing a prodigal people and how faithful he's been. But how has he been faithful? How has he turned something that you've done that was out of line with what he has for you, to use it to draw you to himself and then to use that as part of your story of his unending grace? How did he bring you to himself? How is he taking your suffering and your pain and the difficulty in your life and redeeming it to be a comfort to others? How, how is he taking not only suffering but the good, the good that he's put in your hands, the, the things that he's invited you into and he's saying, I want you to see what I've put in your hands. And I want to invite you to steward it well. And part of the way that we do that is to remember, he's the one that did it. He's the one that gave it to us. He's the one that put it within us. Because again, the nation of Israel, once they got all their security, once they had gain, once they had political power, once they had all these things, they forgot God. And we all have things like that in our lives that we can turn to to cause us to forget who God is. And one of the ways that we fight that is to remember how he's been faithful. How has God been faithful in the past and in the present? Well, as we continue, I want to give you this too. Our strength and voice is meant to help protect people, even from themselves. See, our, our voice and our strength is meant to help to protect people, even from themselves. We see this actually through Hosea, he was given a message, I'm sure. He's like, I know this is from you, God. But this is not a popular message he's giving, by the way, right? Like, this is not, no one's like, 
you know what? Sign me up for marrying an unfaithful woman. Let me name all my kids after unfaithfulness of the people of God. And then let me go tell the people how unfaithful they've been. No one signs up for that. But God was using Hosea to not only be a picture, but his voice. And you know what? He wants to do that in our own lives. He wants us to use our strength and our voice to help protect people. And protect people not only from harm, but protect them even from the things that they're afraid of and the longings within them that may cause them to miss what God says of them and has for them. And one of the gifts that we give to one another is to affirm in each other what God has put in us and calls us to, and then also to lovingly hold accountable where we're out of line with his design. We're called to that. And that's beautiful. And one of the things I love doing as I've been able to, for many years, journey with my wife, Amy, is I love these new facets I'm learning about my bride. It's so fun (laughs) because it gets better as you get older, I think, personally, you know. And as I'm getting to know her better, there are things that I can speak to as I've walked with her. But it's calling her forward because Amy will always be this person. I'm in the background. I'm going to blend in. I don't want to be seen. And I'm like, no, but you have so much to offer. You have so much to offer. And not that she's not serving others, but she'd rather serve in the background. But I love watching how God at times is calling her to the forefront and to be part of that party that's cheering her on in that. So that's what I, what I mean by strength and, and our voice. It's not only the harm, but also helping them to harness what God has put within them. And then The next question, the last part of this is, how will you use your strength and voice to help protect people? How will you do that? How will you do that? How will, again, you use your strength and voice to help protect people? And we know that through Jesus, he did this himself. He he walked this way. He modeled this way for us. And we join Jesus in that. We join Jesus in not only what he's established for us in the new covenant, the forgiveness of sin, a right standing with God, to be called children of God because what was on him is now on us. Not that we could ever earn it, but Jesus performed perfectly. And then we join Jesus, not only in our identity, but also in the activity of Jesus as we stay close to him. We're about his business as he was about the Father's business. And we seek to know the mind and the will of the Father and by the power of the Spirit, we join him and what he has for us. So as we wrap up our time, I want you to be thinking this week. Again, how will you use your strength and voice to help protect people? Let's pray together. Father, right now, I thank you for such a special day. And I thank you for this picture of your extravagant, extraordinary love for us. Thank you that we couldn't earn it, that we don't deserve it, that we, like the nation of Israel, have been unfaithful and we run from you and yet you run after us you pursue us you desire for us to come back to you and so lord i pray if anybody's here who's yet to put their faith in you jesus that today would be the day of salvation for them they'd put their trust in you but also pray for those who are like the nation of israel they know about you and have information about you but don't know you intimately they don't have the depths of experiencing you. Father, I pray that they would turn to you. They would change mind, change direction. 
and experience this great, extraordinary love that you have for them. Father, I also just pray that as we think about your extraordinary love and what it is that you've called us to, I pray that we would join you in, in not only hearing of your word, but saying yes to the things you ask of us. I pray we'd always give you a yes, not a maybe, not now. And I pray we would use our, our strength and our voice to protect, to, to help those, Father, who are in harm's way and to help those to harness what it is that you've called them to, Lord. We are so grateful that through Jesus we can call you Father, our Father in heaven, our Abba, our Daddy. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.